Welcome to the Press Pass Podcast. I am your host, Liam McEwen from The Big Lead, and with us today we have Charles McDonald. Charles, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I uh, uh, forward to, you know, talking about, you know, I guess, <laughs> what my job is at the uh, Daily News. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, sports journalists, we talk a whole lot about other people and never really get the chance to talk about ourselves. So to start, let's just uh, kind of how about you take me through your journey from when you first realized that sports writing and sports journalism was something you wanted to do to where you are now at the Daily News? Uh, Well, you know, I always liked football, of course. Like I, I feel like a lot of us when we get started or we have the idea that we want to get started, it all starts like with just a natural love for for whatever sport you cover for for me that's football uh i i grew up watching the uh michael vick falcons team and uh i live in baltimore too so you know those early 2000 ravens teams and that was it, it was just kind of a cool experience to be able to grow up and watch those guys and kind of grow with those guys a little bit and then uh i got to a point maybe like i don't know probably four or five years ago. And I was like, you know what? I was reading some Bleacher Report article and it was, it was like equating Jalen Collins to Richard Sherman because, you know, they both had dreads and tall and long arms and were fast. And I was like, you know what? I, I like football and I think I know more than this. And, you know, I was a pretty decent writer at the time. I was studying English. So I was like, oh, let me take a stab at this and just see if I can, you know, mix whatever writing skill I have makes with my football knowledge. And then it just kind of picked up from there. And I think the first place I started writing was this fan-sided website called NFL Mocks, where, you know, I, I literally made, made up my own blog and I would just write, you know, dumb little scouting reports or mock drafts or whatever, or things that would make me and my friends laugh. And then I use those as writing samples to send over to that fan-sided site, NFL Mocks. And then it all kind of snowballed from there. I worked at the Falcoholic. Uh, during the 2015 season, then I was working for Bleacher Reports, NFL 1000 uh, team during the 2016 season, Football Outsiders, then SB Nation last summer, and then you know about a month ago I, I took the job with the Daily News. So you know it, it's a little bit of an unconventional path, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with where we've ended up so far. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like you kind of worked mainly on, obviously, you know, digital side with fan side and the Falcoholic and that sort of thing. But now you're working for more of a traditional publication, still digital, mostly with the daily news. How, how have you found that transition so far? Oh, it's 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 super different because, you know, even, even SB Nation where, you know, you have some people who are doing on the ground stuff. Like, I, I think some of the people who are still there, like like Harry Lyles. Uh, that's one of my good buddies and, you know, people at the Banner Society. Uh, they're doing like a, a little bit of on-ground reporting, but for the most part, it, it's still like all digital. And mm. the only experience before I, I had, the only experience I had like interviewing people in pe- interviewing people in person was at like the NFL Combine or the Senior Bowl. Uh, so it was really only a few times. So, you know, I, when I walked into uh, – you know, the Jets locker room for the first time. And I think the first day I was there, uh, it was the week that Sam Darnold was about to come back from mono. And I, you know, I, I interviewed Le'Veon Bell and I was like, holy crap. Like I just interviewed Le'Veon Bell. Like that's kind of cool. And you're like, you, you have that first little shock factor when you, when you first see these guys in the locker room, and you first talk to them, but Honestly, like the more you go, it, it's kind of like any relationship that, that you 
start to deal with people where, you know, the first time you talk to someone might be awkward, but then once you see their face over and over and over again, it, you know, it's, it's not, not to say that we're friends or anything because, you know, there's still going to be that barrier always just because, you know, reporter to athlete relationship, but, you know, it, it's cool to get to, you know, talk to these guys by first name and, you know, ask them how they're doing, how the family's doing. And, you know, there's just like a very mutual respect. So, you know, it, it took a little bit to get used to the swing of things like being on the ground and, and traveling from, uh, you know, Manhattan to Jersey like four times a week. But outside of that, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it's, been a, it's been a good transition. I think that, you know, my editor and other writers there have helped a lot in that. Definitely. And I mean, sounds like your journey was kind of accelerated in comparison to a lot of the other people I've talked to. When was there, well, I guess I should ask, was there sort of a moment early on after you decided, you know, maybe I'll give this writing thing a try where you wrote something and you were like, okay, I can really do this? Uh, yeah, I think it was, it was not too long after, actually, no, 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 not, it was before the Falcoholic. It was, uh, so there, this is a website that doesn't exist anymore, but it's called, uh, uh, it was called Football Savages. And, you know, it, it's kind of a weird like if you go back and you kind of track the lineage of some of these guys who are in the media, mm. it's really weird because so football savages, I guess the best way that I can describe it was like a rated R football website where it was just like raunchy and, you know, pretty, you know, just we were to cuss on there and pretty much whatever we want to write, we could write. So mm. at the time, this is, this is after Dan Quinn got hired by the Falcons. So I, it was 2015. It was me, Justice Mosqueda, who works for the XFL now. Uh, Uncle Chaps, who works for Barcelona, was on there. PFT Commenter was doing columns there, too. Uh, Matt Harmon, who works for NFL, or no, he works for Yahoo now, was doing columns on there. Uh, buddy Derek Klassen, who does stuff for Roto World. I mean, it was just like, it, it's funny when we, when we look back at what this stupid little website was, it actually became like a little, you know, breeding ground for us to find our voice and accelerate our careers. But the piece that I wrote was it was breaking down Dan Quinn's defense from Seattle as he brought it to Atlanta. And it was the first thing I wrote that really blew up. And it, it showed me, you know, cause you know, when, when you first start writing and you want to show people that, you know, something, there's always a bit, a little bit of, of nerves because, you know, you want to be right and you don't want to get, you know, clapped back by some more on Twitter or even worse, get clapped back by someone smarter than you, you respect. So <laughs> there's always a little bit, of, of fear when you first put your voice out there, but it got really good reception. And, uh, and that was when I was like, okay, you know, I can, I think I can really hang with anybody. And from there, it, it really just picked up. And, you know, <laughs> I, I think probably a year and a, a year and a half after that, oh, no, 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 probably two and a half years after that, you know, I was speaking at Sloan at the, uh, uh, at the ESPN sports analytics conference at MIT. Uh, this was winter 2018. You know, I, I got to meet Mina Kimes and Pablo Torre. I was like, and they, you know, they were excited to meet me. I was like, whoa, like, this is kind of crazy because I was just blogging for free a couple years ago. And now I'm on a level where I can just, you know, text Mina and just see what she's up to. And it's, it's, it's just been a pretty surreal journey so far. Yeah, that's pretty dope. And I actually interviewed Derek for this uh, same series that he recommended you as uh, one of his film favorite film breakdown guys, which is how I ended up. <laughs> Good kid. But, um, you very casually mentioned that you spoke at the Sloan conference. Give me a little bit of background on that. I mean, that's... <laughs> uh, so this is when I was writing at football outsiders, uh, after like the 2017 season ended, uh, and 
you know, Football Outsiders is big in the analytics community. Like Aaron Schatz, the guy who runs that place, his DVOA metric is seen as like, you know, kind of the godfather for all these sports or all the football analytics that we're seeing and like the boom of the football analytic community. Like, you know, he's, he's on top of that. Like all the stuff that we see now, he's kind of been doing that stuff since like 2003, which is, you know, it's pretty impressive. So obviously he has a big connection to the MIT sports analytics uh, or the Sloan, the Sloan uh, people who run that stuff. And he does, uh, you know, he speaks there pretty much every single year or he holds a little presentation on whatever football outside is doing. So the people who, run that they've been reading my film room columns that I would write a couple of times a week throughout the season. And uh, I remember I was coming back from the senior bowl and I just got an email, like when I was in the airport in Atlanta about to fly back to Baltimore, Hey, would you be interested in doing a presentation uh, on how stats can help you break down film? Mm-hmm. And they had, they said they had someone, uh, <laughs> it was so funny cause they said they had someone drop out. And I remember that the conference was in like two, two weeks at this time or maybe like three weeks away. So I was scrambling to put together uh, my presentation using, you know, my own stats that me and my uh, friend justice that we made and we have behind the scenes uh, using Aaron's stats, the DVOA stuff. And I remember I was on the train from Baltimore to Boston and it was a seven hour, which is like a six or seven hour train ride. And I was reading my PowerPoint. I was like, this sucks. I hate it. So I literally scrapped the entire thing redid it and then presented it the next day uh at the analyst conference wow. and i got like an applause afterwards i was like wow like you know i did this in like six hours uh and it came out that well so it, it, it's uh I, like even just the opportunity to do that was pretty pretty mind-blowing because i was always terrible at math like at any point in my <laughs> academic career from it kindergarten through college like right i mean that lines up yeah, it was weird though because I was so bad in stats. Like, I mean, I've I I have failed a stats course before, but then for some reason, when I was able to apply it to football, it just all started to make sense to me because mm. you know my my brain's broken in that kind of way. But yeah, being able to speak as Sloan and just being like on the same field as all these people you see on TV and read and write, read and and, uh, and watch, it's just it, it was amazing. Yeah, I mean, if there wasn't, if you if you didn't feel like you belonged in this community already, I'd say getting a applause at the Sloan Conference would probably solidify that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Definitely. And then uh, you mentioned, you know, all those guys that you worked with, uh, PFT and Derek and all that. I mean, do you, I, I imagine you do, but kind of, do you feel like working with that many talented people helped you kind of progress who you were as a writer and a reporter? Yes, to a degree, because... Before before I started working at Football Savages, you know, I had this very like linear view of what a sports writer was supposed to be, or, or what someone in this field of work was supposed to be. Where you know you only talk about your area that you cover and nothing else. And then once I got to the Savages, you know, I I you know I definitely don't always agree with you know what with some of the stuff that that barstool puts out but at the same time you know seeing that chaps and like pft have gotten to that point doesn't really surprise me because you know one thing i, I did learn from like seeing how they handled their business was that you know y- you can really be yourself and if you're genuine enough and you don't try to box yourself into 
this idea of what you think a sports writer is supposed to be. Like you can, you can have a lot of success that way and have a lot of engagement that way. And I remember just once I decided I was just going to open up a little bit and show people more of my personality, that's really when it started to pick that they started to, uh, you know, pick up where, you know, they could come from the analysis. We could chit chat about jokes and stuff. We'd be talking about music mm-hmm. and just being able to be, you know, your own person. And I found that that helps you when you want to go and interview with somebody and talk to them. You don't have to just be, you know, this stoic cardboard cutout of yourself. You can be the 3D version, like this really real, lively version of yourself, the real you. And, you know, I, I think just having the confidence to put, like, just wear your personality on your sleeve and, and make it a part of everything you do. That's something that I really learned from, you know, being able to work with those guys and, and being able to grow with guys like Justice and Matt Harmon and, and Derek. Like, it, it's just been, it's been fun, like, being able to find our own voice and not just your voice, but like the confidence in your voice. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, obviously, it ended up working out. You're now at the Daily News and all you guys are, I mean, the whole crew is pretty, pretty set up in the industry. Yeah, it's, it's been surreal to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. All right, now we'll move on to the next part of the interview here, which is we have some good football questions. How does that sound? Sounds good to me. All right. So we'll start with uh, what you predominantly cover, which is Giants and Jets. So, uh, just keeping it basic, keeping it simple. Sam Dartle and Daniel Jones are going to be the talking point in this city for football for the next 10 years, probably. Uh, from your perspective, <laughs> do they already do really well, if anything, I suppose? Well, see, I, I think I think that they're both. I, so first of all, I think I want to start off by saying that I underrated Daniel Jones a little bit coming out of Duke. Uh, I, I think that, that Daniel Jones has started off like he, he's he's clearly like at the very least a competent starter mm. where, you know, he's not a guy that throws a lot of interceptions. Uh, I mean, he, he's had a couple games like the game against the Patriots, but everyone's throwing Patriots. Everyone's throwing interceptions against the Patriots except Lamar Jackson. So mm. like I'm not even paying too much on that one. Uh, you know, we're, he, he throws a few nice deep dimes a game. He's, I think he's really good in the intermediate section. Like if he can just clean up the fumbles, which is which he's doing at like a higher rate than anyone in the league. That's you know they're gonna have like I think they can have like at least like a Jimmy Garoppolo level quarterback. Where if everything else is in place, like you can run a pretty good offense. Uh, but you know their their offensive lines have been banged up this this year. Their uh, receiving core has been banged up this year. Like Sterling Shepard has barely played this season. So uh, I I think that he is on the right track. It's just, you know, the supporting cast around him has got to be a little bit more solidified. You, you've, you've got some pieces, but the depth is still lacking a little bit. The Sam, Sam is like, when you're talking pure physical talent in terms of being able to run and move and throw in the run, like obviously he's not like, you know, Deshaun Watson or something like that, but mm-hmm. the way he, he moves, the, he moves around the pocket and the way he's able to throw, on the like throw on the run under pressure and just zip balls into there like 30 yards down the field. It's really impressive. Like D- Daniel Jones is not the physical talent that Sam has, but I think one area that, that Daniel does have over him right now is like that down to down consistency where, you know, with Sam, when that ball lets, when that ball flies out of his hands, you don't know if it's going to be a 50 yard dime down the field to Robbie Anderson 
or if it's going to be just a complete duck that gets picked off and taken the other way for six. Like it, it the, the the range of outcomes once that ball flies out of his hands are very wide. But it, if you can get a coach, you, you know, Christopher Johnson, the owner of the Jets, he did come out and say today that that Gase is going to be, uh, you know, the head coach in 2020, and that he trusts Gase. It should be noted that he did say the same thing about Mike McCagman a few months before he fired him, and he did say the same thing about Todd Bowles a few months before he got fired. So the words <laughs> don't mean that much. At least but he's consistent. For now, yeah, so for now, that's that's what he's saying. I I, I just think the, the Jets, they got to figure out a supporting cast because I, I think it's one of the worst offensive lines in the league, and I, I, probably definitely the worst offensive line in the league. Maybe the Bengals have – uh, a challenge for that title, but if they can get him, if they can get Samson blocking and another receiver outside of Robbie Anderson, who can stay healthy because Quincy and Dunham is supposed to be that guy. He's been hurt. It, it, I think that will help a lot, but the offensive line and a little bit better play climb will go a long way for Sam. Definitely. And then you mentioned what you thought of Jones coming out of school for the draft, but what did you think of Darnold? Darnold was, Darnold was confusing me because you know, it, it, it's like it's almost like he's really, he's really the same guy where you saw the peak plays, mm-hmm. uh, and you like you see the ability where like you just have such good mobility and such strong arm strength, like you, you get excited. But he also turned the ball over so much uh, in college. Again, like, I think in his, in his last season at USC, he led the, he led the entire NCAA in turnovers, and you know it, it hasn't been that bad for him in the NFL, probably because you know. He was, he, was, he was banged up a little bit in 2018 and had mono this year, so it's not like he's, he's really played in all that many games. But, uh, you know, it, it, was, it was just hard for me to figure him out, but I, I, I understood on face value why the Jets took him third overall. I was a little bit worried about the turnover issues, and that showed his head a little bit in the NFL. But, you know, I, honestly, I do think most of Sam's struggles this year just come down to the supporting cast. I mean, just the offensive line is so bad. It's so banged up. They came into the season with, you know, three three pretty strong starters on the offensive line with uh, Calvin Beecham, Kelechi Assembly, and Ryan Khalil. And, you know, Osmelli's gone. We've, we've supported a lot on that disaster. Daily News. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan Khalil got hurt. And Calvin Beecham just played his first game last week in, like, seven weeks. So, you know, it, it, it's... Uh, it hasn't been easy for Sam to say the least. To say the least would be correct, yes. And I don't think Gase is doing him many favors, but uh, I guess Christopher no. Johnson knows best, right? <laughs> <laughs> for now. For now. Um, so just talking generally now, um, do you have a particular favorite position or position group that you really like to break down on film? Uh, defensive line, for sure. Uh, that's why I played and I, I coached for a year or two. So that, that's, that's a spot that I love to watch. All right, so who's your favorite defensive lineman to break down right now? Uh, it's going to sound biased as hell because I'm a Falcons fan, but <laughs> Brady Jarrett, I mean, I I really like watching that guy. And I, I think in a world where Aaron Donald does not exist, based on the way that he's played this season, I think you can make a case that he, he could be, like, the best defensive tackle in the league. Mm. So, you know, I, I, have, I have Brady Jarrett in that, you know, elite, but not Aaron Donald elite tier of defensive tackles. Like, you know, we're Fletcher Coxes and, and it's, it's weird to say that about a former fifth round pick, but he's really stepped this game up this week. I mean, he, he was pretty much the reason why the Falcons were able to beat the saints on Sunday and hold that offensive nine points. Like, especially in the second half, he and Tack McKinley were just completely unblockable. So, you know, Grady Jarrett's a guy I like to watch. 
Uh, when it comes to the Giants and the Jets, Dexter Lawrence, the, uh, the rookie nose tackle out of Clemson, that's a guy that's a ton of fun to watch because he's just so big and so like so powerful, but also really quick and athletic. Like I think he ran close to a five one forty, which for a three hundred forty pound guy is utterly insane. Mm. And you know he he's been a much better pass rusher uh, than you might have thought coming out of Clemson. And I don't know, like there's just there's something about these guys who are like three hundred, you know, three hundred twenty plus pounds that can move like linebackers and tight ends. It it just it's just so fascinating to me that there are human beings that can that have those movement skills at that size. So, you know, defensive line is just, it, it, it's just, it's hilarious to me sometimes. Cause even when we go, when you look at the combine and people say, you know, defensive ends are the freakiest people on the planet. Mm. I mean, you, you got guys now who are 270 pounds running four five forties, And I don't know. It's just fascinating to watch those guys on tape. Yeah. And I mean, Hate to bring it up because you're a Falcons fan, but I thought I can't believe more people weren't talking about Grady Jarrett after Super Bowl 51. I mean, he was an absolute yeah, game. yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was for me. That was his coming out party. I was like, that guy is going to be an absolute yeah. superstar for sure. Yeah, it, I mean, he's he's just gotten better since that point. So hopefully, they can uh, you know get get that thing back on the right course. So Grady Jarrett has a, a chance to play some meaningful football games again. Definitely. And then as kind of a film breakdown guy, I mean, I think that's the whole concept is what a lot of NFL fans probably feel like they maybe could do, but definitely don't have a strong grasp on. So what are you kind of like, what are your thoughts on um, when it comes to film breakdown? Are there anything particular aspects that you feel like might be underappreciated as far as how guys carry themselves on a day-to-day basis and as far as consistency or something like that? Yeah, I I think it's just like... (laughs) the guys who really focus on the technique and focus on the details, like it really, it, it really shows off in their game. Like, you know, just to go back to Jarrett as an example, you know, we're talking about a former fifth round pick. And if you're, I mean, we see fifth round picks get cut all the time in, mm-hmm. in their rookie training camp. So if you're going to be a guy that sticks in the league, like you have to be on, you have to be on your stuff every single play. And I mean, just, watching how guys, you know, the consistency with their hands and their feet, the consistency in which they break routes off a certain point. It, it, it's just like the guys who really have the attention to detail are the guys that you see it. Like you really see it on film breakdown. Uh, you know, even uh, I, just going back to South Australia, I know because it's just the first thing that comes to my mind, but even when you watch a guy like Calvin Ridley at Alabama where, you know, he, he's not the biggest guy. He doesn't have like the biggest catch radius, but you see him and you see the way he cuts, you see the way he breaks off uh, cornerbacks and coverage, like just consistently, like that attention to detail is so important. And it's just really fun to watch guys who who nail that craft down and have that consistency on a play to play basis. Cause those are, those are the guys that, you know, unless you were just Superman level athleticism, those are the guys that usually end up working out. Definitely. And then when you were first getting started in the in the industry, as far as breaking down film and that sort of thing, do you remember if there was ever one player who you saw and were like, oh, wow, that guy's going to be an absolute stud? Um, Jarrett was one. I think I had him great as a first-round pick when he was coming out of Clemson. Uh, I'm trying to think. It's been, it's been so long. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Oh, you know what? 
there's there's this slot cornerback for the Steelers. I think he's still there, Mike Hilton. Mm. Uh, and I remember I was watching him at Ole Miss. Well, I wasn't even watching him. I think I was watching a Leonard Fournette game, and they were playing Ole Miss. And I was there was like this little small guy who's playing safety and cornerback, and he's just you know blowing up these runs and he's making good plays like in the short area of the field. I'm like, yo, who is this guy? Like, he kind of looks like a like to me. I was like, this looks like a diet version of Tyron Matthews. So I googled his name. And I was like, Mike Hilton. And I went back and studied and. I remember before he came out, I just went up and cut up like a few of his plays and I speeded them out. I was like, hey, this dude might kill him. Like, he's actually pretty funny. He just seems like one of those do-it-all players that, you know, maybe he doesn't excel at any one thing, but he just knows. You know, it's like a cliche, but one of those guys just has a nose for the ball and just seems to figure out a way to make plays even when he shouldn't be. And then I remember, you know, he kind of popped up on the Steelers and I went back and I was like, oh, you know, I, uh, I, I was a big fan of his game and I I didn't fully grade him or anything, but I just took enough plays down to take notes. And it, it was just kind of cool to see him pop back up, making plays and getting a contract from the Steelers a few years later. Yeah, absolutely. All right, moving on to the last part of the interview here. Some lighter, more fun questions. How does that sound to you? That sounds good. All right. So I know you've only, uh, from my understanding, you've only been in New York for a little while now, but I think it's pertinent to ask. Uh, have you found a go-to spot to eat yet? Um... There's actually like this little corner store near near my apartment in Brooklyn that it's like this Mexican. It's owned by this Mexican family, and they make like the best quesadilla I've ever had in my entire life. Like I I think I've gone there. I so I've been here for about a month now, and I think I've gone there probably like seven or eight times. Like cause it's right it's right next to the subway stop near my apartment, so. Like, if I'm coming back from practice or something, I'll just plop right by there. I wish I could remember the name of it, but it's it's near the 25th Street stop in Brooklyn. Uh, it's, like, this mom-and-pop shop owned by this Mexican family, and they make, like, the best Mexican food I've ever had in my life. Excellent. And then going back to your hometown, what's your go-to place to eat in Atlanta? Uh, you know, honestly, I, I didn't live in Atlanta that long, so I don't really have any, like, go-to spots. But I grew up, I grew up in Baltimore. Okay. Uh, okay. I would say, I would say, uh, it's a little pricey. Man, I can't remember the name of it, but pretty much any any seafood spot like in the Inner Harbor, uh, it has this really stupid name, and I wish I could remember the name <laughs> of it. But uh, like you go in, and it has the owner has pictures with all, like, all these Ravens players and athletes and the Orioles players, uh. I think it's like the little oh the little skipper it's like something like that mm-hmm. and it, it's so good like it it's you if you go there you will get the best crab cake you've ever had in your entire life like I I promise you and if you don't well you're you need better taste buds <laughs> you just don't know what to tell me well I will definitely be taking you up on that one and I will let you know if that's correct I imagine it is mm-hmm. I mean Baltimore yeah I don't think you can go wrong all things considered but. Um, so obviously you're, you know, football junkie. I imagine that you are doing a lot of reading and, uh, film, uh, a lot of reading of other film breakdowns outside of work. Who are guys that you, and maybe you, it's guys that you worked with before and that's totally fine. Who are guys that you go to for your own personal, like fulfillment of kind of just football knowledge? Uh, you know, obviously, you know, me and Derek talk a lot just about nerdy stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, my, my friend Deontay Lee, uh, 
Nate Tice is on Twitter, and I've gotten to know him pretty well recently. He's the son of uh, Mike Tice, like that legendary offensive line coach who was with the Bears for a long time. Uh, he, he's on Twitter breaking down a lot of stuff. Uh, Seth Galina, who does stuff for uh, like the the Saints and LSU SB Nation pages. Uh, Stephen Ruiz, who works for For the Win. I mean, those those are the guys that I really like talking to and the guys that I learn the most from in terms of scheme. So, you know, those are my guys. For sure. And then what's um, something about this job that you feel like other people don't know or don't really understand? Uh, one, okay. One thing that I, I did not realize how hard it was going to, hard it was going to be. And also one thing that I've experienced a lot so far is, <laughs> excuse me, sorry about that. No worries. These guys, like, after a loss, so I, I go to all the home games. I'll, so I've, I've been to every game that's been played at MetLife for about a month now. Mm. These guys, after a loss, the and the amount of time that they get dressed and get out of the locker room before reporters get in is amazing. Like, I do I, I that people have talked about guys like ducking some questions after a loss, but this is my first time seeing it uphand and in, like up close and in person. Man, they like when when they lose, they are getting out of there so fast. And outside of like a couple guys who have you know outside, you know Saquon always has to talk, Golden Tate has talked a lot, Jabril Peppers, but for the most part, those guys are just trying to get the hell out as soon as the loss is over. And you know when those losses compound, like the Giants are on a losing streak and the Jets are on a losing streak for a while, uh, it, it it gets even worse. So. That, that's one thing that's pretty hard, like trying to put together quotes after a, a losing streak because it, no one wants to talk. And at that point, the people who do want to talk, they all say the same thing where it's just like, hey, like we got to get better, blah, 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 like all that useless stuff. So that that's one thing that I've, I've, that I've gotten better at navigating than I, I was at the start. Mm-hmm. And then what's one thing that now with the benefit of hindsight, you've been working kind of in the industry for a couple of years. You have this job now. What's something that you wish you knew back when you were just starting out when you decided to just give it all a try? Uh, if someone can help you, try not to pop off on them on Twitter because it, it, <laughs> it, it only makes your life harder. Like, I, I feel like once you've gotten to the point, cause I mean, I used to get argue with people all the time when I first started and I regret some of it, but. Eh, only only a little bit of it but you know you don't you don't you don't you don't want to get into trouble with people who could potentially help you out like if you have no interest in working with someone by all means go ahead and call them out for whatever you feel like it but you know if there is a door that you might want to walk through at some point it, it's really easy to just not tweet something that you know you probably shouldn't so you know if you, you my, my buddy uh Jonathan Jones gave me some good advice. He he used to work at SI and now he works for CBS Sports. If you ever have to think before you press that tweet button, just don't do it. And you know, it, it saved me a lot of grief over the years. Yeah, that's uh, I think that's an evergreen piece of advice, if you will, at this point yeah. in social media life. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, Charles, that will conclude the interview. Thank you so much for coming on. It was really insightful and it was really interesting to hear about your own personal journey through the industry. All right. Yeah. Thanks for having me for sure. Absolutely. And thank you listener for tuning into the press pass podcast. I am your host, Liam McEwen signing off.